Welcome to Evidence to Excellence, news in neuroplasticity and rehab powered by The Recovery Project. We want to personally welcome and thank you for joining us today. We're glad that you're here because this podcast is designed to keep you updated on what's new in research and evidence in the neurorehabilitation world. Now, here's your host, Polly Swingle, CEO and co-owner of The Recovery Project. Welcome everybody to our next episode of Evidence to Excellence. And um, today we are going to have a really fun talk, exciting talk, where today I have two people with me who have been living with a spinal cord injury, you know what, I can't even tell you, for over a decade, is that true? For both absolutely. of you? Oh, absolutely, Four yes. Years so years, yeah. okay. Yeah. So today I have Laura Jackson with me, and I'm going to let her give you a background, kind of what happened to her, how she's living her best life, and then also I have Billy Victors with us today. Victor, I'm sorry. Vickers. 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 It's fine. Vickers, got it. Vickers. Billy's with us today, and he's also going to give us a little background and really share with the audience out there of, um, you know, a little bit about how you guys stay healthy from your body to your mind to spiritually, what you guys enjoy doing um, after you guys finish that whole rehab process that we all know about. Then what did you do? And I know that you guys have really, really excelled in your life with um, being advocates for other people with disabilities and so on and so forth. So let's dive into it. So, Laura, I'm going to start with you. Ladies first. All righty. Always, always, always. So let's start with a real basic question. So why don't you tell everybody that's listening a little bit about what happened to you, what age you were at when you had your injury? All righty. So um, it's been a hot minute. Um, I've been paralyzed 19 years as of May 13th, 2003. Um, I was trying out for the... um, I've been a cheerleader since I was in the third grade, and it was part, a big part of my life. And my few of my sisters were cheerleaders, and um, we've been taking tumbling classes, and I was learning how to do back tucks and stuff, and I was doing them. And I went into tryouts to do um, the tumbling portion, and I did a back tuck, and I landed directly on my head. Um, I instantly thought that I had knocked the wind out of me, and apparently I knocked the wind out of me forever. Um, so I am on a ventilator. I'm a C1, C2 quadriplegic um, that's on the vent 24-7, and I am paralyzed from the neck down. But I got a lot of Night at the Roxbury moves still, so it's a plus. Now, how old were you when that happened? I was 14. 14. Yes. Okay. And I think when I met you, was was she 14 or 15? I'm trying to remember. I think it was 14. God, 14. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Changes. Yep. January, I think I met you. Wow. That was a long time ago. And anyways, we'll get more into that a little bit later. Okay, Billy, fill us in a little bit about what happened with you and how old you were. So I was 23 years old, uh, working full time, going to school, very active in the community, um, working construction, kind of not living my best life, I would Mm -hmm. say. I think I spent more time at the bar being 22 years old, um, live and learn. But um, a motorcycle accident, I was on my way home from uh, picking up my check from work, and less than a mile from home, a gentleman pulled out of a side street, threw his windshield, 55 miles an hour. So um, I pretty much knew immediately something catastrophically was wrong. Um, I had a collapsed lung, four broken ribs, hip, pelvis, uh, scapula, clavicle, like I was pretty mangled. 
Um, but I got airvac Actually, I had 10 days. Um, I stayed at a local hospital, and then I got airvac up to Craig Hospital. Okay. So I did my inpatient out at Craig for three months. So, and for all of you listening, yes, I did say three months, not two weeks anymore. So I sorry. know long sorry time. Yeah, time. boy, so. have things changed, haven't they? Yeah. So, Billy, why don't you know the next question? I'm curious about is thinking back to maybe the first year, the first couple few years since you were injured. Um, what was that like for you? What did you learn during that time of first year post injury? Maybe first couple years. And I, I kind of laugh saying this because um, I still have to work on this 20 years later. So I'm a T6. Um, I, I didn't get to mention that. But immediately I le- had to learn uh, patience. I don't have patience still. Still still working on that one. <laughs> but to be able to rely on other people. Um, when I first came home, they kind of set it up to where I had caregivers 24-7 because that's kind of the way that they implemented things back then. And I had people helping me with transfers and helping me with my my ADLs that you know I can do independently now for the most part but my patience was just it was tested like nobody's business for those first couple of years because um, you know being a young independent guy and Vero running around and then all of a sudden being bedridden and needing people to help transfer and everything um, I would definitely say patience was the first one that so did tested. you after you left Craig Hospital you came back here to Michigan did you move in with your parents I did yeah. yeah. So that had, were you living with your parents prior to your accident? No. So I was living with a girlfriend, um, kind of part-time on and off, but going to school, you know, yeah. working full-time. I was, yeah, again. It so was that's probably, a big change right there. It was there. a huge change. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I get that. So Laura, I'm going to ask you the same question. So a year or a couple of years, several years after your injury, um, what did you learn? What was your life like? It was going from, I mean, I laugh because I look at 14-year-olds now. I have a 14-year-old nephew, and I'm like, okay, oh, he's still a kid. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm like, you know, but at 14, I was like, oh, I'm independent, and I can do all these things, and I didn't really have to depend on my parents for, you know, help with anything. And so, like, I, I compare it, like, going back to being a baby again. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I can compare it to as much as that sounds ridiculous, but it is, is I had to ask everyone to feed me get my hair out of my eye, itch my face, hot, cold, like I, everything I needed was now reliant on everyone else. Um, and patience was one of the biggest struggles, I think, is that you re- I really had to think like, okay, even, you know, you only could ask for so many things at one time. Yeah. And I know, but in my mind, it's like, okay, I need this, 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 and I'm trying to get it all like, and so it, it's a learning curve of how you go about asking for the things you need in a, in a polite way and in a way that people want to help you. Um, yeah. So you were 14 and in school. Yes. Billy, you were done with school. So what did that look like? I mean, were you out of school for a period of time? So I was in the hospital for seven months. Oh, wow. From May to December. And so I missed my first um, semester of high school. And so... Going to high school is nerve-wracking anyways, and let alone when you're rocking six wheels and a new accessory around your throat. Um, <laughs> and so it was nerve-wracking for sure, but I had, I'm so blessed with the support of my family, my, my nurses and caregivers that I had at the time, but I realized that like I was going to keep 
going yeah continue i wasn't gonna stay inside i wasn't gonna do homeschool and there were some days i mean even back then they hooked up a camera for me where the days that i was sick i still had to go to school i was like this is crap you know what i mean like i was like oh i think i can get out of school but they're like no we have we have a way for you to still go to school so now they still have that but yeah so kudos to your parents for being strict about that yes you know like the importance of making sure that you go to school absolutely and that you graduate from high school. So absolutely. <laughs> yep. So let me ask another question. And Laura, since you're talking, um, I'm curious, which I know, but the audience, how old are you now? I am. And, well, okay. wait. Okay. So how old are you now? Yep. And what are you doing with your life? Are you working? Did you go to college? Tell us all about what all you right. do every day. All right. So um, I'm 33 now. Um I worked my butt off during high school to make up all the classes that I missed. And I went to summer school and I went to night time and I was still doing hours of therapy a day. And um, then I went on to get my ma- my bachelor's in business and my my MBA from Madonna University. Wow. And um, I used something called a, a quad joystick. And so I sipped and puffed and my mom's like, I've never seen a person on a ventilator hyperventilate because I'm sipping and puffing at the last minute because my paper's due at midnight. I'm like, why did I wait to the last minute? But, you know, you live and you learn. And um, and since then, I worked into, uh, in marketing and customer relations until 2019, and I was like, I want to try something different. Um, since then, I've been I on two board of directors, one for um, My Work Matters, which helps people with developmental and intellectual disabilities disabilities obtain employment and so they have a coffee shop that has people with down syndrome and on autism working it and so i love um, being able to give back that way and the other board i serve on is called um, the young professional board for north star reach which sends kids with disabilities and and any kind of illness serious medical um, condition that allows them to have a camp experience and i had that a camp experience myself and it really helped transform my confidence and just my independence and so I love that I can give that to other kids so I know that uh, was it last year the year before you also functioned you won a a pageant absolutely so share that with the audience because I think that's fantastic and what you did in that role so I won Miss Wheelchair Michigan 2020 and because of the pandemic I also was Miss Wheelchair Michigan 2021 so um it was an amazing experience um, going around just educating um, schools and kids about um, moving your mind. And that's despite any obstacle you have, whether it's a disability, whether it's anything, you know. And so um, I had an awesome time, you know, rocking the crown and sash. I felt a little sashy. And uh, it was just a really great experience meeting other women in wheelchairs across the whole country and, and all the platforms that they stood for. I mean, for people with service animals to being able to touch the buttons to be able to cross the street so that was an incredible experience and then the one thing I started doing just in the last six months is become a peer mentor for the Christopher Reeves Foundation and as we all know the learning curve of becoming paralyzed is there's so much to learn and so to give back to people and and to explain that like okay this is a shock at first but there's a lot of resources and there's a lot of physical therapy and, and a lot of things to keep your body healthy and so um I, I think I've I've you know I've really enjoyed doing that the last few months as well 
And both you guys, what role models, right? I mean, that's one of the things that that message I want to get, get across today is that sometimes, I mean, I've been doing this too as a physical therapist for over 30 years, that sometimes people get so stuck in, I have this injury now, I just need to go to rehab, and I just don't see that light of life beyond rehab. Yes. And what great examples that you have done that, you know, living, living your life and giving back and recognizing, it just blows my mind, Laura, that at 14, how much you have grown to recognize the importance of all of these gifts that you have to give back to others yes. and help them through this process. So, Billy, I want to ask you the exact same question. How old are you now? And I know that your resume and everything that you're doing, so please share with everybody. Of- it's not a resume. <laughs> I, I just stay busy. I have to. <laughs> so otherwise I get myself in trouble. So, um, so I'm 41 currently. Um, I was 22 when I got injured. Um, and, yeah, I, again, I was going to school for construction management. So the idea that they said, oh, you can go back to school – I came home and had, I was lost. I had no idea what I was going to do um, because working construction since I was 12 years old, I was the guy in the ditch digging the ditches. So the idea of, well, now you can be a manager wearing an orange hat telling people what to do, but not leading by example. That was not the way that I wanted to live. So um, kind of reevaluated things. I, I got lucky because the support that I had around me, my parents, my friends, my family, there wasn't an expectation to jump right back into school. Like I hear people's story when they're like, oh, I was injured, I did rehab, came home, and then had to go right back to school. I'll, I'll be honest, I had hid in my house for two years. Like, I went, I did therapy, and then came home and never left. So those first two years were, like, really rough. So the idea that, like, she had to go right to school, like, I don't know how you do that. That's just a mental gymnastics thing that I actually didn't yeah. have to check on to get over. So mine was a little bit more gradual to where I started doing therapy uh, five days a week, three hours a day, and I did that for 12 years. So, um, went down to a facility in Detroit, uh, walked in CAFOs. I walked a mile and a half. I went to Portugal for an olfactory nerve cell transplant, um, worked for, you know, another therapy place up in Grand Blanc. Um, I mean, even now I still do CrossFit and work out five days a week, but we can get into the, the physical health. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, it, that's kind of what I revolved my life around was, um, staying fit, working out, um, making sure that I'm staying busy. So work right now i work for a company up in clio called rehab and mobility systems uh it's a dme company um i also run a perspectives program out of there um it's kind of like a peer mentoring even though i don't like to use that word um i go to three different hospitals to do life coaching peer mentoring for people with disabilities Um, i'm on the advisory council for the dnr uh, the metro parks i'm also on the board for united spinal um organize and facilitate a lot of different support groups like I want to shout a plug we're actually doing a disability dirt day this Sunday out at Holly Oaks so if anybody's interested make sure you come to that we can absolutely post that too yeah um busy I mean exactly you you stay busy yeah and um I mean helps with your quality of life I think everybody has this balance right yeah of when I mean I do as well as when you figure out you know what makes you happy and yours as well is you need to be involved in something Laura and Billy it's like you can tell that you need to have something to do every single day that there's a purpose to wake up in the morning I want to you know since we do rehab and a lot of the podcasts that we talk about when we talk about the science 
behind what's working and not working. I want to I want to dive a little bit deeper into rehab. So Billy, so you said it was 12 years that you were just totally involved in rehab every single day, three hours a day. Yep. Tough question. Knowing yourself now, going back, would you do the same thing? Um, I would. Um, I you know I again it it got back to the in my situation I think that was the best thing I could have done. If I was a little older and I had a wife and kids, no. So again, I wouldn't be telling everybody that that's the situation that you need to do. But I got to focus on that and kind of see where that took me. Um, I meet other people that they're 40 years old, they got injured, and they have a family to support with two kids yeah. in grade school. That's probably not going to be an option for them, unfortunately. Um, but again, that, that journey of showing up every day, kind of pushing the limits of being very committed to your rehab, that, that took me a really, that took me a far away. You know, the question I always ask to a lot of my patients that really take their, their physical health very seriously, which, which you do so far through this process of living with your injury, have you been hospitalized? Yeah, but it, like, and I, they're all for secondary issues. Really? Okay. They're all, it's, and I, it goes back to the basics, skin, bowel, and bladder. Yeah. So if you can negate those three things, the rest of your spinal cord injury life will be pretty, at least for me, will be pretty, pretty easy. Do you feel that you staying so healthy physically helps with your overall health? Without question. Without question. Yeah. And then, you know, not just your body, but I'm sure your mind yep. as well. That's, that's part of the reason I actually still go to the gym almost every day is just for the mental release. Um, I mean, it's great physically, but if I don't go to the gym for a couple of days in a row, I am poor. I'm very bad to be around. I get grumpy. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that. So Laura, a little bit more of a challenge. I mean, you have a high level of injury and I know that you had rehab for how long were you like in a structured rehab program after your injury? Four years. And I was doing it five days a week for two hours a day. Yeah. 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 And I, you were, you were there right along with me. I was part of that. Yes. Do you think now looking back, would you do it again for the four years at that intensity? I would. I'll say this. It was, I think the first year of your injury, you're, you're still coping and you're still physically exhausted. Your body's still getting used to this whole new way of living. Um, and I was exhausted. Like, I felt bad because sometimes, you know, physical therapy you come and I had gone to school all day and then I come home and I'm like, I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. But I think standing up and, and riding the machine that I had and doing stretching and everything was beneficial. And, and you know, I had the, the experimental surgery that I had and I would not have had the neck movement that I have without coming back and doing intense physical therapy. Yeah. And now I have really great neck and neck movement you know right i like to say i got the neck of the rock like me and him could go you know uh, there could be a neck off yeah and i'd win so have you been hospitalized have you had any serious medical issues since your injury you know i said this last year i'm like i'm the healthiest i've ever been like i've only been in in 19 years five times here and there and i think um one of the common factors as you mentioned is either skin bowel or bladder yeah and um one warning I put out there is that um, UTIs, you know, I have an involent catheter, mm-hmm. an SP tube. They can turn, you know, you can get septic. And yeah. I did not know how fast sepsis could set in. And so that's my my warning to people is that um, 
you know, make sure with your UTI that you take care of it. And, and there are certain factors that led us not to do it as quickly as we normally would have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been lucky that I've been healthy pretty yeah. much, you know, well, I think it's so much too of knowing your own body, right? You learn to know your own body after your injury yes. and knowing that something just doesn't feel right that maybe those signs aren't there yet. This kind of leads me into my next question. And I wanted to talk briefly about caregivers. And I'm gonna talk to you, Laura, for a second. So you have caregivers. You need to have caregivers because you need help with basically everything that you do. So first question is, is how important are they to you? And do you pick your caregivers? Or how do you find a good caregiver? Yeah, so I have been so incredibly blessed over 19 years to have people, you know, these are people that are in your home. I mean, my caregiver today, we spend four days together um, and eight hours a day. And so we get along great. And um, we have a lot of fun. But it's also, I can imagine, it's a lot of work for taking care of them, themselves and me, you know, another person for and I have to have someone with me 24-7 in case the vent comes off. And um, and so finding caregivers, you know, sometimes I'm just a firm believer that the, peop- the right people at the right time will come in your life. But I also um, know that, like, we found people on um, just through social media, through asking through friends, through um, – I've also found nurses through a company, you know, that, that supplies uh, – that has, you know, the nursing – um, people come in and so um, I've just been so lucky that because they really become a part of the family you know yeah they yeah. do and um, you f- form a close bond with each of them and so I feel really grateful for 19 years I can't I literally can't even I mean it has to be like a hundred people were you always involved in that process of finding the caregivers I mean, I'm thinking back you were 14 yeah. I mean, was that something that your family involved you in from the very beginning of maybe, I don't know if it's interviewing, but meeting them and having a say at the very beginning if yeah, this and, was a good match, I guess? Yes. And and sometimes it's not always what you, I mean, sometimes you get along great with people. It's just, you know, everyone doesn't mesh well with everybody. Right. And I just try to treat everyone with respect and, and I ex- expect the same Um but at 14, it was kind of like, okay, there was, you know, there was an interview process with someone coming in and how I, you know, went meeting them and everything. But um, I've been really lucky that, I'll, you know, it's been a great experience for, I would say. Well, 99%. and I think, because I know your family, that every single member of your family understands your needs and can step in. Yes. At any time, if need be, to be your caregiver. Absolutely. Which I think is is just so spectacular, you know, and Laura has a lot of sisters. Yes, <laughs> lots of sisters. And that all of them can step in and your mom and dad to, to help you. So, yeah. yeah. So, Billy, do you need caregivers now at all? So my situation is a little bit different. Um, because I am so active in the things that I do, I require assistance. But with ADLs, I'm, I'm pretty good on those. But, like, when I want to go deer hunting or I'm going to go kayaking today, I might need help to get down to the kayak and to push my kayak out of the water. So I usually have tag-alongs to help with transfers um, and usually to keep me in line with safety. So caregivers, no, but I have, um, like, attendants, so I would say. And usually they're all, they're all friends and family. 
So. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about mental health, you know, and I think you guys both are such great examples of, of physically how you guys have take care, take care of yourself through exercise, I think through diet probably as well as, yes, both shaking their head. You guys can't see that, but also the importance of diet. Um, what about sleep? Do you guys feel that sleep is important, that if you notice that if you don't get a good night's sleep that it can affect how you your body has with spasticity or function and everything else yeah absolutely yes i i feel like i sleeping is um i had a really hard time sleeping for a long time because i think your energy exertion is different when because i don't really move to do anything i mean but i was exhausted all the time for the first few years but i was like um, and I knew that getting good a good night's sleep was so important because then I'd get up and be I'd be sleeping there in class if I wasn't yeah. like I'm like I can't stay I'd be sleeping during therapy they're like come on Laura wake up I'm like I can't um, but it does set a tone in your in your mental health you know that if you don't get a good night's sleep that you're like okay you're just dragging for the whole day and the day just seems a little harder than it normally does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much evidence out there now on the importance of sleep. I mean, wasn't there 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, do you notice that too, Billy? Are you? Yeah, without question. And this is kind of, I mean, this goes back to, this isn't even a disability, able-bodied question. I mean, this is for everybody. If, yeah. Um, if you put those hours into the gym and eat right, but you're not recovering correctly, it's probably because you're not sleeping correctly. Yeah. Um, sleep is, is definitely, that's part of your recovery for everything that you do. So, um, But again, for us, if we sleep because we have bad tone, spasms, and upset stomach, that kind of reverts back to the disability thing to where, well, what did I eat? What did, what's going on with my system? So yeah. we definitely have to take those things into account yeah, as well. Yeah, that so. body awareness yes. is yeah. so important that we talk about. Yep. So I'm going to ask some questions here about mental health. Laura, what was the hardest aspect to your injury? About What was the hardest aspect of you living your life with your injury? Oh, goodness. Um, it's weird because it's really like at that time you're like okay can i live this life you know what i mean mm -hmm. like I, I i i had never seen a person on a ventilator i did not know i mean i'd heard of christopher Reeves, but i hadn't really comprehended the fact that you can live a really great life and not be able to breathe it's kind of amazing um i always say you don't have to breathe to have moments take your breath away uh <laughs> it's so it's true though but the anxiety and there is depression it's a huge loss of of independence mobility and just how you thought your life and, and this is for everyone we all think our life's going to go a certain way and it sometimes it doesn't this was a a big uh it diverted very differently than the way i thought it was going to go and yet you get up every morning you do the things you got to do you you have a list of the things you have to get done in that day and then you go to sleep and you wake up and you do it again I think the biggest struggle for me was trust that it's going to be okay. That I have people around here to put my vet back on. The anxiety was very um, intense at times because you're like, I always, when people are like, what does it feel like to be paralyzed? I'm like, in the beginning of my injury, it felt like I weighed a million pounds mm -hmm. and my body fell asleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I get yeah. the tingle parts of my body. And so the anxiety of, like, not being able to itch my face, oh, my gosh. I still was, like, and so I was, like, okay, Laura, I just had to tell myself, like, 
it's okay. It will go. And if you really need help, you can call somebody to come at your face. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly how you mean. So yeah. now, do you still have anxiety? You know, I've learned different coping skills. That was going to be my next question is, what are those coping skills that work for you? Because I'm sure they're different for Billy and yes. everybody else. Yeah. Well, and we, I think we do all have different ways of, of handling it. Um, and it took me a long time. I had anxiety, horrible anxiety, like even changing my trach. Only my dad could do it. And I'd have to like meditate. And if anyone <laughs> talked, I'd be like, oh, I got to start all over. And I'd like click at them or something when I was ready, you know. It was just my way of being in control of yeah. changing my, my tube in my throat, you know. And, um, and so I, routine is really important for me. I'm a very routine person. Um, even I like to say, you know, everyone does things their own way with me because they do. They're doing stuff for me. They, everyone's got their own flair, but it's all kind of how I still like it. Yeah. Um, and I focus on my breathing and I focus on what I'm grateful for. Every morning I wake up and I, I say a little prayer. Um, I, I was about that. to sing and I won't, I won't torture you guys like that. But I, I do. Would, I would like to hear it. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> it's horrible. I sing as well as I breathe and that's not at all. And um, but so I uh, those are just the things I focus on. Gratitude, focusing on my breathing, focusing that things it, it will be OK. And I just have to calm my mind and because my little motto is move your mind. And I mean that wholeheartedly that I'm able to control every aspect, not all the time, obviously, but um, the emotions I feel in the, in, the, in the physical response, I feel is from having anxiety or depression or whatever is intense. And I know that if I move my mind enough and focus on the things I can't control and things that I'm grateful for, that the day, the day will be good. Is that something that you have a conversation with because you are now, you know, an advocate and you help other people, and I'm going to ask Billy the same question, but, you know, you help other people that are newly injured. Is that something, I guess the question I have is when somebody's newly injured, it seems like when they're coming to see me, it's always this physical. Yes. Well, I can't believe I can't use my legs, so I want to work on walking or I want to work on, you know, transferring by myself. But for you as a peer... Do you talk about that anxiety and that depression with these individuals that are newly injured? Absolutely. Um, I think we would be, it would be, uh, it's only normal that you're feeling like that. Yeah. Because it's, again, it's an incredible loss. There's incredible grief that goes with a spinal cord injury, no matter what it is. And, and we, and even people without spinal cord injuries, people we all face loss sometimes, uh, of, and we only know the pain we're, we're experiencing because yeah. it's only relative to us. And so talking to a person that's newly injured or their family is, is I hope I can give them hope that like 19 years later, you still can live. I didn't think I'd live a beautiful life after an injury. And I'm still kicking and living a beautiful life. Yes, you, you are. Know? Yes, you and are. And so I want them to know that that. It's totally different than what you expected, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth living. Right. No, so true. So, Billy, let me ask you the same question. What was the hardest aspect after your injury? You guys pretty much wrapped up with it that for the first, I want to say, two years, everybody compares their, their life after their injury to their life prior. Yeah. And you keep going back to the reality of, well, things are different. I used to do things this way. You know, I used to 
deer hunt and climb a ladder and do it. If you focus on things the way that they were, you're never going to persevere and get to the way that they could be now. You're never going to focus on the here and now. You're never going to focus on kind of what could be if you're living in the past. Um, and I, that's kind of coinciding with what you guys brought up with the mental part. The physical part will drag along with you before you realize that years down the line, you're going to be like the physical part of being disabled. It's, you kind of get used to sitting down all the time. You kind of get used to the, the not being able to use your legs or your arms or, you know, I know it sounds weird, but yeah. that's the kind of stuff that you get used to. The bowel bladder and everything else, that you don't really get used to that. But um, the physical limitations of not being able to walk, not being able to, you, you get used to that. The mental part, that's a constant 24-7, even 20 years later. You have to constantly hone and work on that. So I always tell people the first two years are going to be the roughest. And if yeah. you keep comparing the way things were, it, it makes it a lot harder. And I'm not saying don't just like depression you have to have depression days you have to have bad days in order to have really good days but don't live there don't stay there right right so what do you do for yourself to cope with that i would sad days or i would actually say um working out and going to the gym has helped me a lot um on my bad days there's nothing like going to the gym moving um throwing weights around yelling and then you feel better in typical male fashion i'm uh, like you know (laughs) you, you do the grunt and then you feel better so Um, but, and I think that there's actually something to that. The fact that I can't use or move my lower body, but the fact that I can exert still force and get a good sweat on and stuff, it's such a mental feed that, um, you know, like when people talk about lifters high and stuff or runners high, I get that, but in a much different way to where when I feel a physical exertion, I feel reward from that, maybe from not being able to use my full potential or my full body um there's something you know beautiful for that in me so you also are involved with you know talking with people that are newly injured yeah so share a little bit of that experience with us and kind of how you approach that with the people that you talk to delicately sometimes <laughs> yes. great way Some, to sometimes that. not uh depending on the person but and i'll be honest a lot of times it's more being there for the friends and family mm. more than a person um, the person kind of, and I was this person to where somebody came in my room and I chased them out. I said, I don't want to talk to anybody. You have no idea what I'm going through. Get out of my room. So when that happens to me, cool, no problem. I'll see you tomorrow. You don't take it personally. You don't take it. I mean, you have to understand that they're going through a traumatic experience. You have to embrace that and you show up tomorrow Yeah. And do the same thing. So, um, but a lot of times the friends and family, especially the moms, they are looking for resources. They are looking for, we have no idea what to do. We're looking for um, insurance, you know, things. What do we do now? I mean, no, no one expects this. And while us as individuals are going through the traumatic experience of why did this happen to me, the family members are kind of left putting this together of going, how are we going to get the house modified? Like, what are we going to do for vehicle transportation? So um, if I can be there for resources for all that, that's kind of where I, um, you know, like the put the pieces back together. Yeah, and Billy, that's kind of where I was going to ask is you're saying that resources, which is so important. So just think about it. When you guys were first injured, you know, the internet wasn't like it was now. The resources that we have now were at our fingertips. (laughs) So when you're talking to family, caregivers, spouses, mothers, patients, what kind of resources do you, do you have certain resources that's your go-to? Uh, recovery project first and foremost. <laughs> yes, um, that was a perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I usually do the rule of three, so it never comes across as I'm selling something. Yeah. I, even though I work for certain industries, um, I don't even, and honestly, John, my boss, I don't even always just promote my business. Yeah. It depends what their needs are. It depends kind of where they live. depends what their insurance is. depends kind of what mm-hmm. they're looking for. Um, so I always do the rule of three. I'll give them three op- options of different places they may be looking for whether that's case managers, whether that's transportation companies, um, yeah, and let them pick. Yeah, and so. now with, you know, and I don't want to get in, we could have a whole podcast on what's happened with no fault. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Good Lord, yes, exactly. But not going there. But, you know, now I am noticing that there are so many more resources that are needed out there just because of that change. Yeah. And people are struggling so much with home modifications, with transportation, with getting their wheelchair fixed if something breaks and and so on and so forth so um it's nice that we have that at our fingertips that we can at least help them explore on what to look for and not to go and buy their wheelchair off of a ad on amazon or if you know what i'm saying that there are people out there that really understand what your needs are to make sure that you get you get the right thing are there certain resources laura that you share with people Absolutely. I think, so I had a friend that broke his neck. He was a spine surgeon and broke his neck. And he was showing me how he's putting a PowerPoint together. And I was like sitting here having anxiety for him because the mouse was moving so slow. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I was like, I think you need to get the quad joystick. He's like, really? I was like, just just give it a go. And so he got one. And he's like, oh my gosh, I get why you were like, uh, you need this. Because now that he's using it, it's so much easier for him. And so I know there's um, eye gaze and certain things. So depending on who I'm, I'm talking to, I can give a list of things I know about. Obviously, I know about the quad joystick because I use it myself. Right. And it's a sip and puff. Um, but he, I was grateful that I could tell him about it because I was like, this is like, and he's used to doing it so quickly. And so uh, um, like you said, I just, I try to give them a few options of um, different things that they can use because there's like you know some hardcore sip and puff um yeah like people play like video games and stuff and i'm like that's too complicated for me i need sip well, and, and just puff. think <laughs> of technology that's changed oh good right yeah. in since you were 14 yes i mean just think of that and what's going to be happening in the next decade that could be available absolutely for people with a disability yeah. of just accessing their world with so much more ease yes so are you you know do you like to try new things, Laura? Like, do you like devices and stuff? I so I'm kind of it's it's back and forth because I'm so grateful for like things like Alexa, and then um, I even got a mouth stick recently to use my phone, and now I'm obsessed with sending gifts or whatever. My sister's <laughs> like, "Can you just send like a real text message?" I'm like, "Yeah, but why? You know, because like when you can't use it, you're like, I really want to." And then I got the you know I. I saw this, and so I do get used to, you know, the, some some new things. But I'm also stuck at, you know, I remember my pulmonologist was like, Laura, you really should use your cough assist. And I was like, um, okay. And so cough assist wasn't a thing when I broke my neck. It was just strictly suctioning. And so for years and years, she's like, you're using that cough assist. It's like, meh. And then now I use it. I'm like, okay, you totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> they do. They know what they're talking. I mean, just like I'm sure – being a physical therapist you tell your you know your your patients you know yeah this is really going to help you and they're like okay okay 
then I I can admit that I was wrong in the fact that it does help. And yeah. I'm grateful that I have it, And that, but she let me do it on my own time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. It allows you to do things quicker, too, yes. and easier. All right, one last class question for both of you. Laura, I'm going to ask you first. If you could share one piece of advice, words of wisdom, with someone, someone experiencing a new injury, what would that be? Um, oh, uh, it gets better, um, and your ability to adapt is incredible. I never thought I'd be able to adapt to not breathing or moving, and yet here I am. You know what I mean? I I, yeah. I think that um, again, there's a a part of this life that is extremely difficult. But I'm not that. It's funny because this life is it there's a lot of challenges that go along with the spinal cord injury but everyone no one's life is perfect and everyone has stuff and right. so for me i i try to tell people that to have your days have your moments because you you suffered a great loss but as you said earlier don't try not to stay in that in that space because it's not beneficial for you and it's and if you put yourself out there and you put yourself doing the things that you're, you want to do and that you're capable of doing, you'll find joy in life again. That is, okay, Billy, that is really hard to follow, that answer. That was a great answer. Billy, same question. What words of wisdom would you have? I would hammer home on the same exact message. Um, and I actually just got done telling a gentleman this the other day that it gets better. Um, paying in there, persevere. A lot of people don't realize, you know, the being in this situation, you can still live, like you said earlier, a beautiful, absolute, just full life. Um, and I think people are kind of taken back sometimes when I say, I've actually experienced more in the chair than I probably ever would have had the opportunity for. Um, with skydiving, scuba diving, I mean, and everything in between, rock climbing, like, you know, I've probably... And you, you just, I know it's kind of cliche, but if you've ever seen the movie Yes Man, you just have to be open to new ideas and just kind of say yes to things and uh, don't be afraid to fail. I think yeah. it's a big thing that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the, um, I was afraid to go out to my mailbox. It's okay to feel like that, but yeah. eventually kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone, um, embrace the suck a little bit, and slowly but surely kind of put yourself out of your comfort zone and see where life takes you. That That's kind of what the whole message should be is that you probably thought you had everything figured out before your catastrophic accident. You don't, you know, this is life. You only get one. So make the best of it. So regardless. Thank you. That was a beautiful answer. So I don't know if you guys want to mention, if you want people to follow you on social, any type of website, we have a lot of followers that listen to us. So first, I'm going to go first. Don't forget about The Recovery Project, guys, www.therecoveryproject.net. Also, please follow us on Facebook and on Instagram under The Recovery Project. Laura, do you want to say anything to promote any followings? Oh, all right. Um, So... I guess on Instagram, I'm Laura Michelle underscore 713. And on Facebook and TikTok, I'm Laura Michelle. Also, don't judge my TikToks. I'm ridiculous. I love your TikToks. All right, you guys, check out her TikToks because they are absolutely hilarious. Billy, you got anything? Go ahead. I'm going to make this so simple for everyone. I don't do social media. Perfect. I love it. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, I want to thank you guys so much. And I think everybody listening is going to get so much out of 
you guys and you guys have been living your best life. So thank you so much. And guys, we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Evidence to Excellence News and Neuroplasticity and Rehab Podcast. We appreciate you and hope that you come back every fourth Tuesday of the month to get more of what's new in evidence and research in the neurorehabilitation world. To learn more about the Recovery Project or to find out what we're up to next, you can visit us anytime at therecoveryproject.net.